Alright, I've got Brian Vanderark from the Verve Pipe on the phone. They have a new record out called Overboard. How you doing today, Brian? I'm doing gr- uh, good. I'm, I'm driving in really crappy Michigan weather. Oh, man, that's terrible. <laughs> it, is, it is terrible, but um, I'm trying to concentrate on this interview. <laughs> Alright, uh, so tell me a little bit about how the band got started. Well, we were two bands originally. I was in a band called Johnny with an Eye, and there was a band called Water to the Pool. And they had all the plum gigs on the weekends, and we played on Tuesday night draft, 25-cent draft beer night. And we soon got a pretty good following, and I talked to the drummer, and I said, hey, let's put our bands together and form a sort of super group, and that became the verb Pipe. I had about 10 songs I'd written, and uh, so we went right into the studio and recorded those and sold a lot of records out of the trunks of our cars pretty quickly. And that was uh, your, your first recording, uh, I've Suffered a Head Injury, right? That's right. Okay. That's correct. And, and now- that went great. I mean, we sold, we probably sold 10,000 of those records, you know, playing college towns, and then we invested another 10 grand into another record called Pop Smear and we sold about 20 25,000 of those and that got the attention of RCA. And those are both actually incredible albums. Um in in order to prepare for this, that. in order to prepare yeah. for this interview, I I went back and I listened to everything that you guys have recorded and released over the years, including the you new actually, album. You actually did a, some preparation for an interview. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to that. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I and I'm a huge fan, too. And actually, I was supposed to interview you uh, back in 2003 when you played in Youngstown. Hmm. But uh, we never ended up getting around to doing the interview, so I'm actually pretty excited to be doing this now, you know, 12 years later. 2003? Where, where would I have played? Uh, Do you remember the venue? Yeah, it was uh, in Youngstown, Ohio at uh, the Plaza Cafe. I do remember that show. That's funny. Yeah, I... Is that the place that has the stage on the side of the bar? Yes. Like, you look straight across and you're, like, facing a wall? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe I remember that. I don't remember anything. But I do remember... I do remember the bad setups of clubs. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember briefly meeting you as you were coming off stage. Uh, I was probably making a beeline out of there. No offense to the club. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I was facing the wall all night, I probably wasn't happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in the early days of uh, the Verve Pipe, your uh, your brother was in the band. Well, he was in the band for a long time. Is it true that your, your mom kind of made you put him in the band? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you did do some research. No, <laughs> I, that, that's just a story I made up. They didn't care. My mom didn't. My mom didn't care. Uh, no, he. Uh, Brad, Brad's actually. He, he was. I'm, I'm not sure how his bass chops are anymore, but he was a great bass player. And you know, being a good-looking guy as well doesn't hurt. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I do remember. Uh, I do remember though the. Uh, especially on villains and then self-titled the the rhythm section was extremely tight the bass and the drum together well donnie and brad as much as they were oil and water personality wise uh they 
played great together, always. They were just fantastic. We had one of the best rhythm sections of the time, I think, for at least for our class, uh, the, the class of 96, 97. You know, those guys were the best. Oh, I definitely agree. And uh, one thing that really stood out, too, about those albums is uh, the, the keyboard hooks. Yeah, well, Dougie, uh, Doug Corella, you know, he was a percussionist at first. He, he came in and played, like, congas on uh, Pop Smear on a song called Honest, I think. And we asked him if he would join the band to play uh, percussion, and, and he said, yeah. And then we had a keyboard player, Randy Sly, and Randy was playing with a band called Bob Harvey, and they were pretty popular, and he couldn't make every gig. And so we asked Doug if he would take up the keyboards as well and play both, and he did. And he would come up with these great riffs, you know. Oh, yeah. I would spend a lot of time with, uh, I would spend more time with Doug than I think our guitarist, too. I would, because I knew that, I knew that I really liked the sound of piano and I liked the sound of keys and synths and that kind of thing and finding different interesting sounds. And so I would spend a lot of time with Doug and we would try different things and, uh, I'm certainly not taking credit for the riffs, but we would try a bunch of different... I just remember those intimate moments with him where it'd be late nights and we'd, we'd go over some stuff and he'd play some stuff and I'd be, I'd be thrilled. You know? Yeah, and like um, especially the first time that really the world heard you guys uh, on a large scale was the song Photograph. And I remember hearing that, that keyboard hook and I'm just thinking, yeah. well, these guys are ballsy for, for 1996, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was different, and uh, but I, I knew when I wrote that demo, I knew the song wasn't everything it could have been, uh, and I knew I wanted to do something with a keyboard, with a synth sound, and I liked, at the time, we were all into the Mellotron sound, and we tried a bunch of Mellotron things that weren't working, and finally he had this cool little thing, that, this little sound he had uh, found, it sounded a little like Snoop, you know, as much as much as we weren't guys to lift from rap albums. Uh, and we hated, I always hated samples. Um, and we didn't want a DJ in the band. That was one of those sounds. I was like, oh, it made, totally made sense for the song. And the song's not the same without it. No. Yeah. Now, uh, then when you listen further in the song, though, then the, you know, you're thinking the keyboard's going to carry the whole song, and then all of a sudden right. here comes this this just soaring guitar that just just comes in and takes over. But you don't lose that well, yeah. sort of keyboard sound either. Well, we're you know we're a guitar driven band. We always have been, and that had we just kept the keyboard and the bass and the drums, and then had wimpy guitars, it wouldn't have been the same band. It wouldn't have been honest to our sound, you know. And and we were. We were all about being honest with our sound. I mean, when we were in the studio with Jerry Harrison, we were producing, uh, who produced Villains, uh, I was dead set. I wanted my guitar to be, you know, either on the left or the right. I forget which side it's on, but I wanted my guitar on the left and AJ's guitar on the right. And uh, and it wasn't very often that, that, that I would suggest an overdub. You know, AJ loved to overdub. And uh, I really wanted our guitars to be raw and in your face. And I remember getting into big arguments with the mixer, Tom Lord Algae, about him wanting to put a chorus or some sort of cool thing on a guitar. And I, I, I kept going back and forth with him. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, 
I wanted to plug. I wanted guitars to sound like you plugged them in and you played through the amp, and that's it. But no pedals or anything. And for the most part, I think that on villains we achieved that as much as I wanted to. At least I did with all my guitar parts. AJ, you know, put some stuff on his, which ended up being great. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a phenomenal record. Um, now. You guys really uh, picked up a lot of steam when you released uh, The Freshman, which was like almost a year after the album had come out, right? Uh, yeah, well, we had, you know, Photograph was the first single, and it did pretty well. We sold a couple hundred thousand records off that, and then we did Cup of Tea, which uh, didn't sell at all. I mean, it, it did really poorly uh, with a video that did equally poorly. Um, and then we took some time and we had to regroup because we, uh, the first recording of the freshman wasn't going over with anybody. And, um, and so we re-recorded the song with, Jer with, uh, Tom Lorel, or not Tom Lorel, sorry, Jack Joseph Puig. Uh, and we got back to the nitty gritty of sitting in a room playing together. I mean, that recording of the freshman is live. I mean, other than the vocal overdubbed, I mean, we're, we're playing together that entire time. We played that song 25 times until we got it right. And you can hear, you can hear me stomp on a foot pedal there, you know, to get the distortion. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how, uh, natural and organic that thing became. I guess, I don't know if it's natural to play a song 25 times, actually, <laughs> but, uh, it did work for us. I mean, that was what made that song happen. And listening to your voice on that song, it's very raw and very emotional. So it, because of that, I want to ask you, what inspired that song? Well, I mean, most of my songs are made up, you know. Uh, I mean, I take a lot of liberty. I take a lot of uh, poetic license. And uh, I have a tendency to be too metaphoric, especially back then. I've, I've corrected that situation now. Um, but for me at the time, it was about a relationship that I'd been in, a, a buddy had gone out with the same girl, and then I broke up with her, and then she went out with her, and then he broke up with her, and I went out with her. And he ended up getting her pregnant, and she had an abortion, and that's where the truth ends. And uh, and as a neophyte writer, I felt the need to make it more dramatic, and she kills herself, so there's some sort of dramatic ending, but she's, uh, she's very alive and well. <laughs> it, it is a great song man it, uh and i i gotta say still to this day every time i hear that that uh that build up towards the end man i get goosebumps i appreciate that you know uh i mean for me the song ever since i was a little kid the song is about the melody and the lyric and the rest of it is just icing you know if you if i can sit in my little bedroom and uh back then in my little bedroom and if I could play a song and and it felt like something and play for people and they liked it, I knew I was onto something, you know. And if you couldn't do it on the acoustic guitar, if you try to manipulate where a song should go because of the trends that are happening at the time, that kind of thing, that never works. That was just five guys in a studio playing that recording at least. Um, like we played it live like RCA saw it when they signed us, but they saw, you know, 300 people that were at this little club that singing every, every word, you know. Um, so we knew we had something with that song. So you, you kind of knew beforehand when you guys recorded it that it was going to be a hit? 
or was it just a surprise at how no. big the song became? I don't think anybody knew it. I mean, I we I, like every band out there. When you write, when you're a songwriter, and people, when you're an original band, and people come see you, and you you feel most bands feel like they're writing really great stuff. I mean, nobody ever says, "Oh, this song is crappy. Let's play it tonight." You know, I, I mean, you really just do think you're the greatest thing. And we we had enormous egos back then because we. We were at the top of the chain, the musical chain in, in Michigan, as far as we were concerned. Uh, we had signed with RCA. We were getting priority with RCA. They signed us to a four-record deal. Uh, we had money in our pocket. We were working with Jerry Harrison, the Talking Heads. I mean, we had a lot of confidence. Um, but the one thing we didn't know was if something was a hit song or not. And no one could ever stand up and go, that's a hit, like you hear people did in the 50s and 60s, you know, the film <laughs> yeah. sectors of the world. Nobody could do that at RCA. Nobody in our band could do it. So we always wondered. And that's why we chased that song. We recorded that song three different ways. On the first album, we recorded it. I've suffered a head injury, just acoustically. And we ended up taking it off when RCA released Villains. But the first the first recording on Villains was a really slow, kind of dirgy version of it. Chris Isaac guitar-like thing. And, uh, and so the first, I think the first 50,000 people that bought that have a different version of it. Um, and then the, the hit song version, which is on it now. How did that song change your life when it became a hit? How did it change my life? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, you don't realize how, what the impact is. I can look back now and say, you know, 15, what is it, 15 years? I don't even know. 15 uh, years, yeah. Almost, almost 20. 18 years ago? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, 18 years later, I can say, thank God I wrote that song. Because, you know, it still pays my mortgage. And it's not a crappy song. If I had written I'm Too Sexy, I would be really depressed right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, who? how could I go out and play I'm Too Sexy or another crappy song like that i'm thrilled to be able to play that song because it resonated with so many people and uh and i've always aspired to be um a fan pleaser i make uh, i i say that unabashedly um la last week on my show i had uh vinnie dombrowski from sponge who i i know you, I you're think. friends with right <laughs> yeah well i mean we're, we're Vinny and I, we're, we, we've been acquaintances for a long time. I, I have a lot of respect for Vinny. Those guys, I mean, those guys are rocking live. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't really hang or anything. We don't, we're, not the, kind of, we're not in the same circle. Those <laughs> guys are a real uh, East Michigan. Uh, where are you based out of? Where are we based out of? I'm, I'm in Cleveland. You're in Cleveland. Yeah, see, they're an East Michigan band, and uh, we're, we're a West Michigan band. It's probably like Cleveland versus Columbus. Okay, you know, it's kind of. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's it's a whole different thing. Well, uh, uh, and so we don't really have you know we don't really hang in the same circles, but uh, they're still kicking about. Oh I yeah, see them every once in a while. Good for them. Yeah, and they were one of those early on. I mean, they they were one of the early '90s bands that were really doing something cool. Oh yeah, uh, that I liked, and um, 
And unfortunately, I think that they were, I think the other bands that came up after them overshadowed their, their work, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing that, that happens I, to all of us. So. One thing that I asked him was, uh, you know, the, their song Plowed is still a, a staple on rock radio. Sure. Uh, much like your song The Freshman. And so I asked, yeah. you know, does it still give you the same thrill to hear it on the radio today as it did back then? Uh, are you asking me that? Who asked him that? Oh, yeah. Well, I asked him the the you know the same question about Plow that I'm you know now I'm asking you about you know the freshman. Do you still get the same yeah. thrill hearing it? I'll tell you what I feel, and then I want to know what he said. Okay. I uh, <laughs> this is how bands operate. We're just so curious what everybody else is doing all the time. Been saying. Um, I don't get that. I don't get that to get the thrill. I mean, the thrill of hearing it is. Hey, what were the chances that I would be flipping through the radio, which I hardly listened to, uh, and I heard the freshman, wow, something serendipitous is happening right now, and that's kind of cool. But then I typically wouldn't listen to the whole thing. And I'm not saying that to be cool. It just doesn't have the same impact anymore. I mean, I've, I know what it is. I know what it sounds like. I play it every night. You know, I don't need to hear it. Yeah. What did he say? I'm curious <laughs> how he felt about his. Um, actually, he said that it gives him more of a thrill to know that <laughs> wow. it's it's still a staple of rock radio 20 years later. Yeah, I can see that. I yeah. can see that side of it, too. Um, so well, he's, he's not thrilled by the sound of it. He's thrilled by what, you know, by the fact that it's still relevant. Oh, yeah. I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I would, I mean, I, when I hear it now, I, sure, it's amazing to know that they're still playing it. I thought you meant like the sonics of it and, and how. Oh, no. I'm, I'm know, sure you probably get tired of hearing it. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> now, uh, let's talk about the new record. Um, you have a little bit of a different lineup going this time, right? Yeah, I, I found that I was the only one that was um, really motivated anymore to make music together, and uh, and I didn't want to stop. And I. I the guys that we've been playing with for the last six, seven years, uh, that's, I mean, well, in fact, that's almost the amount of time that, that's more than the amount of time that Brad is in the band, you know? <laughs> uh, and AJ, too, I mean, this lineup. And, though it's not the same, I really like this group of guys, you know? I mean, that's the important thing, I think, when you get older, I mean, I just turned 50 is that I don't want to hang out with guys I don't like. And uh, and I really like these guys. Um, and if I didn't like them, I wouldn't do it. Because because it's not... It wouldn't be as fun. It's not as interesting. Um, they all come from a place where I come from, musically, similar. You know, we have similar tastes. Uh, they're also eerily similar to the players that left. I mean, Joel Ferguson is a fantastic bass player like Brad was Scott Stefanski is so much like Tony uh, and even looks like him uh, Lou Moose has a different kind of guitarist than A.J. Dunning is but in his own way he's uh, he, he can be better at some things you know so I'm happy with this lineup and I think that the band has always been about songs too um, and when you compare this album to the other albums, I mean, I think Villains probably, you know, I wrote almost all those songs. I wrote most of the songs in this album. 
that it really still is the sound that I wanted, you know, that I've been looking for over the years. If it wasn't going to be the sound of us, if we were going to change our sound with a new band, I'd just name it a different band. There's no point. You know, it's not like we're selling millions of records where that would be the difference between the band name. Oh, one it still feels like the verse type to me, you know. One thing I definitely noticed in, in listening to the new record is it, it is kind of a different sound, but it, I mean, it still sounds like the Verve pipe, but it sounds like a more mature version of the Verve pipe. Well, I hope so. I mean, we're all more mature. I mean, it, it's hard to like come out. It wouldn't be, again, you know, it's all about being honest and, and who you, be who you are. And it wouldn't be honest for me to sing about teenage angst anymore. Yeah. I mean, uh, I sing about my issues. I sing stories uh, that I feel strongly about. And I like the sound of the acoustic guitar more than I like the electric now. There's just something about it that pleases me more. So that's why it's a much more acoustic-based album. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, Now, before this new record, you put out uh, two other Verve Pipe albums that were more uh, family, children-oriented albums. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, what influenced that idea? Well, we've been asked to uh, write a couple of songs for a compilation that was going to be on sale for a charity. Uh, Write a couple of kids' songs, and we're like, okay, well, we've never done that before. Why not? I, I... I had a little girl at the time, a two-year-old. Uh, and I thought, I'll give that a shot. That might be fun. And we did it. And, and Donnie Brown and I were pretty competitive songwriters when he was in the band. And he wrote a couple of songs. I wrote a couple of songs. And before we knew it, we had four or five songs. I'm like, let's write four or five more and put out a kid's record for the heck of it. And we did. And then it went over so great. You know, we're playing Lollapalooza and Austin City Limits and all these great places that we had never played before and playing the kids' stuff that uh, more people would come to the kids' shows than the rock shows. And we knew we were on to something because it was a lot of fun. We could record any way we wanted. We could put an oboe on a kids' record that you wouldn't put an oboe on a rock record because it sounds pretentious. But on a kids' record, you put whatever instrument you want. Uh, you can sing silly things, uh, and it's a lot more open and free and fun in the studio. So we made another album after that, um, Are We There Yet?, uh, which I think is, is also, uh, I'm, I stand behind that work as well. I love that. I love the albums, kids' albums. And, and they're different than the other kids' bands that are out there. They're not, they're not better. They're just different. It sounds like a verb pipe record to me with the four-part harmonies and the big guitars, uh, but the lyrics are different, you know, the lyrics are silly. Yeah, and actually, um, the first one you did, which was uh, Family family Album, was that what it was called? Family Album, yeah, yeah Family Album. Um, I, I have a one-year-old, and when he was a baby, I used to play that album for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. I hope he had a good reaction. Oh, yeah, he loved it. <laughs> right. You know, kind of introducing him to the child version of the, the music that was big when I was a teenager, you know? Well, that's what's going on now. I mean, that's we're you know uh, we all we were always aware of uh, the marketing and and how to sell our band. We our band's been a sellout for years. I mean, that that's our thing. You know, we want to go out and sell records. We want to make records that people like, and we want to sell records. You know, uh, and we've 
again, we, you know, we, we do that unashamed. But that was something that we kind of fell ass backwards into. And it was accident. It was an accident. It was just like, hey, let's try this. The fact is, is looking back on it now, six, seven years ago, all those people in the 90s grew up and had kids, and now they were listening to kids' music, and it was perfect. I mean, it was perfect. They all bought the, the album for their kids, and uh, and we made the album smart enough lyrically and musically that parents can listen to it over and over and not get sick. It's not hot potato, hot potato, or whatever. It's not the Wiggles. Yeah. I mean, you really can listen to it over and over. That was the goal, to make it a little more complicated. And ironically, kids' music, you can make more complicated. You can do key changes. You can change tempo in the middle of a song. You can do all of the things that we should be able to do as rock musicians these days that you can't do on adult records because adults don't have the patience that the kids have. And it's odd because kids don't have patience. <laughs> but for some reason, you can get away with so much more at a kid's breakfast that we could never get away with, on, you know, especially on radio nowadays. On kid's yeah. radio, they play us all the time. That's awesome. But, uh, but try to put a key change in an adult song and get it on top 40 radio or anything, any kind of odd change or a tempo change, oh, we can't play that. It's <laughs> too out there. It's too out there. You know. Yeah. Basically, I think the radio list, most radio listeners, I believe, the programmers think the radio listeners are dumb. And maybe they are. I don't know. No, I, I do have to agree with that. That That's what the program directors think, for sure. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, something that a lot of people who are fans of yours may not know is you also did some acting work as well. <laughs> you flatter me by calling it acting. <laughs> you, uh,. Well, you acted like you were playing bass, right? I acted like <laughs> I was playing bass. Very good. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, I think you stole that. You stole that line from me. You read that somewhere because I said that. I don't. No, I, said that I don't remember reading that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading somewhere uh, where you made a comment about the mullet that you had. Yeah, I had that mullet. You know, um, we're talking about rock time. That was a blast. I mean, it was so much fun. It was three months of. Uh-oh, I think I lost him. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, you dropped off there. <laughs> um, All right. So, yeah, uh, Rockstar. Well, we, saying, we were talking about Rockstar and how much fun that was for three months to have a mullet and be somebody else for, you know, and, and kick around L.A. I mean, it wasn't a wig. Uh, so you actually grew that mullet. Cool. I grew that out. They put extend. They put extensions in because I couldn't quite grow it out as much as I wanted to. Um, but I did have it in for three months. I got to learn how to play bass from Jeff Pilson of Dokken. You know, I got to hang out with Zach Wilde every day. I mean, it was a blast. You know, and Mark Wahlberg and 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 Jennifer Aniston. They were all awesome to hang out with. And, and uh, uh, Stephen Jenkins was in that movie too, right? <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> oh man. He's just like, God, you know, so many people are annoyed by Stephen Jenkins. I don't know if you, anybody knows that or not, but he, you know, I've always liked him because he always speaks his mind. 
You know what I mean? I like the guys with strong personalities. He says what he feels, that kind of thing. Uh, and he's got a bit of a bad reputation. But uh, he, uh, yeah, he came on the set. We, we didn't hang out that much on the set. He was in and out pretty quick. Because he had that, I think he had one scene there uh, in the parking lot. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, when you, when you mix together actors and musicians, and 90s musicians and 80s musicians, and you know, the, frankly, the 90s sound really kicked out the 80s sound. Yeah. You know? So we had Dawkins and Slaughter, guys from Dawkins and Slaughter, and these other bands that weren't doing what they were doing as well as they were doing in the 80s because of, you know, we were grunge. Uh, but we all got along famously. It was awesome. It was a great, great time. How did you end up landing that gig? Well, I had, uh, you know, uh, my publisher had, had said that they wanted, uh, they needed songs for this movie. You know, originally, it was, uh, it was that Judas Priest story. Yeah. Because uh, that's a true story, and it was and, called Metal God. And, and Ripper Owens, and, who the movie's based on, is actually yeah. from around here. He's from Akron, Ohio. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah that's funny. He, uh, well, apparently, Judas Priest wanted like $60 million or something for them to use the their name, so wow. they said, no, that's, we'll, just, we'll just write around that, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, so they wanted a song that was very Seattle-esque sounding for the ending, and I wrote Colorful, and then they knew that I did a little bit of acting and independent movies, and they asked if I would audition, and I auditioned, I brought the song with me, and I left, and, you know, the director called me that night and said, this song is amazing, and uh, we want you to be in the movie, and I was like, oh, I was floored by that. So it was great. And that's how it came about. So, what was it like to watch Marky Mark lip-syncing to one of your songs? That was ridiculous. I thought it was so <laughs> bad. You know, it, it, the reality is I've seen it since, and it's, it's actually really good. But at the time, I couldn't... It was a new song for me, you know, colorful. I'd just written it, and I couldn't wrap my head around my voice coming out of his mouth, and it just didn't work. And, uh... And I was, I had people convince me, it works, it works, it works. And finally I said, I just let it go. And like I said, revisiting it, you know, a few years ago, I went, wow, it really does work. It looks great. It's the funny thing is, people think that he sang it. It was fine by me, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, he did, uh, he did sing along, so. <laughs> he could technically say he sang it. <laughs> well, the one thing I really uh, notice is, you know, throughout the movie, it's actually the lead singer of Steelheart, whose name I have trouble pronouncing, who's actually singing. That's a good name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's him who's actually singing Mark Wahlberg's stuff. Yeah, he and, sings all the other songs. Yeah, and then uh, it's you singing at the end, and I'm like, that just that doesn't compute. It's not even close to the same voice. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is that people don't care. People like you, music lovers like you, like me, we care. The masses don't care. Yeah, and it's fine, good. It's it, and the producers knew that. The director knew that. It it it, wor it totally works for the movie. Let, I just let it go. And it's a great song. You know, Mark Wahlberg really, Mark Wahlberg really championed that song. I mean, he he told me all the time, "What a great song! What a great song!" You know, and he was so about it. And he was he'd sing it a cappella to me and stuff. And like, it was really it was a nice thing to have somebody who is an immensely talented actor, um, you know, really champions something and, and, 
and I'm I'm sure it was because of him that the song had as much play in the movie as it did. Yeah, and it's it's a great song. It's actually my favorite Verve Pipe song, definitely. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know that song, RCA. I just you know I I could just kick them in the nuts right now. They just uh, they really blew it with that song. There was so much there was so much ego going on because Warner Brothers had the movie. And uh, and I we were an RCA artist, and if they just would have, we I I got them to go see the um, see a screening of the movie, and I said you you guys should pick up the soundtrack. The soundtrack's going to do really well. I think Trenton Lesnar's, uh, or maybe maybe it's Marilyn Manson's record company picked up that soundtrack, and it's and it's since gone gold and and might have even gone platinum, but. RCA really had a missed opportunity with that song and that soundtrack. Of course, they did pretty well with the whole American Idol thing, so I don't think they're yeah. worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question that I, I've been promising everybody that I would ask you, um, what was your thought when uh, the British band, The Verve, hit it big in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah. So like, it's, it's such a controversy with... with the people that are fans, like, like a lot of people still think you can only be fans of either the verb or the verb pipe. It, it's such a ridiculous thing. I guess most aren't like that. The fact is, the fact is the verb, uh, Bittersweet Symphony, in fact, uh, they're, uh, Lucky Man, there's so many great songs on Urban Hymns. So many great songs that they wrote. And, uh, and I feel like we have a good catalog of songs too. You know, how that came about was we, we named the band The Verb Pipe in 1992, and then but a few months later we saw in one of the music magazines, English music magazines, like Q Magazine or something, we saw this band The Verb, and we were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then it was like, well, what, what were the chances that we were going to make it a small band from Grand Rapids, and what would be the chances that they were going to make it big? And Literally, we had hit songs within months of each other. Yeah. Number one songs. It was crazy. And people are still confused it all the time. I mean, I make a, I make a joke of it in my Twitter bio. I get it all the time. I get people requesting it. You know, people will say, why did you play Bittersweet Symphony? And, oh, we should have. It's a great song. You know, that have you guys ever covered that? that? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> we might have played the intro as a joke. You know, we, we did that at the kids' shows every once in a while, and the parents get a kick out of it. But, uh, no, the, I think the most we've ever done is done an intro, uh, but I've never sang it. But I've definitely taken credit for it, because like, I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> if, people, if people are persistent and go, and keep saying, I love that song, God, it's such a great song, I'll always say thank you, thank you. <laughs> At least you I wonder it. why I don't want to play it. <laughs> um, I think that they, honestly, I think that they have it much worse, because... They were really uh, indecredible uh, press darling of a band, and justifiably so. And they were cooler, you know. The whole the whole uh, bittersweet symphony video with him knocking people down in the street and the whole thing it was just awesome. And I'm sure that they didn't appreciate the fact that we had a they had a bunch of teeny bopper girls going, "Oh my god, I love the freshmen," you know, on their <laughs> yeah. on their website, you know. So I'm sure they got it worse. We had the opportunity to meet them when we played, when we opened up the Kiss, when we were over in Europe, and super nice guys. And I had, no, I had nothing but huge respect for them. 
and why we're still talking about this 20 years later, I have no idea. It's just stupid as that. It's like cake and cake alike, or what's another good example? Remember how many crows band there were? Oh, bands? yeah. Counting crows. Black crows, like, counting crows. Black crows, counting yeah. crows. I mean, do people confuse those two? I, Crow? I mean, I don't know. I, I think early on people confused the, the Black Crows and the Counting Crows. Yeah, I think that they probably established themselves more than the Verve Pipe and the Verve established ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we each, we each had a major hit, and then minor hits after that. Those bands had a lot of hits, so. Now, uh, I, I also got to ask, I, I heard somewhere that you guys were pretty wasted when you filmed the video for Photograph. Is that true? <laughs> uh I was drunk. I was quite drunk, yeah. Um I, I just I just remember, you know, it was our first video video shoot, so it's very celebratory, the whole thing. We're working with Lawrence Carroll, who's a genius. Uh and we've got these huge sets, they're gorgeous and and then they leave us up in the you know, in the dressing room for eight hours at a time, you know, with bottles of Jack. So, yeah, by the time I got up on that diving board thing, it was like, I don't, I didn't feel safe. <laughs> uh, I felt like, this is not a good idea. And they put, you know, they put a dozen mattresses down for me and the whole thing. Uh, but I'm struggling to balance myself. If you watch the video, you can see that. Yeah, I didn't pick up on it until several years later, and I, I was watching the video, and I said, yeah, he looks pretty drunk. Yeah, that, that scene... <laughs> In particular, the um, this other live stuff with all the kids around, I think that was one of the first things we did. So I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I had that much to drink then, so that was pretty sober. But, uh, I, and I'm talking about, the, we, I think we did all the scene with the kids and everything in the end of the video, but we did, we filmed it in the beginning. So, anyway. So let's, uh, let's talk about the, the hero video, since we're talking about music videos. Yeah, I love that video. That video did not go over the way I thought it would. Well, I that was that, uh, that was right at the beginning of the whole new metal thing. So alternative rock was yeah. kind of snuffed out like right away. It was kind of disappointing yeah, though because that was too. yeah, that, that was a great record, the self titled album. I appreciate that. Yeah, that that did not sell any records. It was a terrible, terrible, huge failure. In fact, I do a speaking corporate speaking tour now with the. Uh, I go into corporations and I talk to them about failure, and that's that's the story I tell. Is that album? I mean, that was a huge, huge favor. We spent one point two million dollars in the studio on that album. We quadrupled our budget, and then I think our first week of sales was like nine thousand units or something ridiculous, oh, wow. where we should have sold seventy or eighty thousand. Yeah, it was it was bad. They stopped timing. making that album. They stopped making that album right away. They they destroyed copies of it. So now, when we play shows, if we want to sell that, we want to sell that record. We got to go on eBay and buy it used off of people, and then resell it. It's just the stupidest Jeez. thing. Well, I'm glad I still have my copy of it. Then, <laughs> do you have your early copy with the all the great artwork in there? Yes. With the, yeah, know, with the transparent stuff, all that. Oh, that was great. They stopped making those too, but man, uh, that was a that was a beautiful package. Yeah, it was. I I actually bought that the first day it came out. So I I loved that I track. Um, now that video, six thousand more. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, that video it was directed by a porn director. Is that correct? Yeah, Gregory Dark. Gregory Dark, man, he was the nicest guy. Um, and I 
and my wife will laugh at me because I'm struggling for the name of the the porn actress that was in that. Uh, I forget. I forget her name now. Oh, I want to say it's Ashley something. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. It's been too long. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Gregory Dark was getting into the. He was one of the Dark Brothers. He was getting into the. Uh, into the music video game. I don't know if he directed any more videos. I should look him up. But uh, he was great to work with. Very funny, nice guy, super nice guy. Uh, and I think that I I love that video. That you know, and if you look at the beginning, I don't know if you've seen that copy of uh, Johnny Knoxville introducing us. He uh, he introduces the band, and we and nobody knew who he was. The MTV said, "Hey, what would you think about this kid? He's a comedian." Uh, and we've got a show coming out of his, which ended up being Jackass. Wait, that, uh, what do you think that about was him? Johnny Knoxville? Yeah. I great. never knew that. That was the first big thing he did. I mean, wow. that I knew of. So nobody really knew him. He was a nice guy and everything, but, you know, he ended up blowing up a couple of years later. So what was your most fun you had making a music video? Would it be Hero? No, I think that's, oh, man, it's hard to say. Yeah, probably Hero, because of all the different scenes and everything. That was probably the most fun, even though even though Freshman was a really good vibe, and and um, Mark Neal is a great, great director and a great friend. Uh, and Lawrence Carroll, a great friend, too. I still say uh, that Hero video was just, it was a great group of people, and we all had a lot of fun. And I remember the band having a lot of fun doing it. That's always good to have fun well, making music video, porn, man. We were hanging out with porn stars. Yeah. Too, <laughs> I mean, that was pretty good. So uh, are you guys going to be heading out on the road again anytime soon? Yeah, we don't, we, don't do, um, we don't do typical tours. That's one of our things, you know, that we, we don't do. We don't go out for, you know, a month at a time, two months, three months at a time like other bands. But we'll do uh, one-offs here and there. I mean, we're, for the most part, we're churning out new music now. Uh, but the next tour starts April 11th. We do a kids' show in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then that night we go drive to Kalamazoo to do a grown-up show. Uh, and that'll kick things off for 2015 for us. Nice. Uh, any idea when you guys will be coming back to Cleveland? Oh, my God. Soon. I'm going to be speaking there, actually, I think next week. Really? I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm sure i got a speaking gig with this, uh, with this United Bank of Switzerland. So I'll be there myself, but, you know, it's a private function. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we, we are so due to get back there, dude, that we got to get back there in this next round. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you guys in Cleveland for sure. So I, I haven't seen you in, oh, it's been years. It might have actually been that Youngstown gig. I can't remember if I've seen you since then or not. Well, you got to bring the kids out to a kids show, too, if we get there. Oh, yeah. I would love to do Definitely that. What we like to do is we like to go to the children's museums or or the schools and play a kid's show and then play a, another show at night. Yeah. So if that happens, uh, definitely bring the kids. You, you, I think your kids will love it. Yeah. Um, you guys recently had the chance to play on the uh, Summerland Tour with Everclear, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we. I just wasn't into that. I just was not into that. I've burned so many bridges with Art from Everclear that it's ridiculous. He asked us to go on that tour back in 96, I think, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. So, so uh, what's it like came around again, Art? and I was like, nah, I don't want to do it. Um, 
Well, I never, I never toured with him. I played, we played festivals. You know, we went in the same circles and played, uh, played festivals together. I mean, all those guys seemed like nice enough guys. I don't remember anything weird. You know, the guys that we hung out with, you know, Semisonic, we, we were big fans of theirs, and we went on tour with them and took them out with us. And that was our, and Tonic, you know, we were friends with those guys and took them out in Case Choice. Those were all the big tours, bands that we liked. So we didn't really we didn't really hang out with the other '90s bands that were heavier like that. Seven Mary Three was a great tour for us. That was the first '90s alternative rock tour, and they were awesome. We loved them. But uh, no, I just got an interest in doing that. You know, we had the opportunity to go with Vertical Horizon too, and I liked those guys immensely. Nice guys. But uh, you know, just going out for that period of time and going on early and. I don't know, playing the short set just wasn't, just didn't sound fun. Yeah. We got, we got, I mean, we, we do shows around here and we sell them out and it's, it's great. You know, I don't know, I want to get on tour bus with everybody and be away from my family for that long. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I totally understand that. Dude, it's all quality of life issues. You know what I mean? Honestly, like, like some bands thrive on that. They love that. The party, what, you know, what happens on the road stays on the road kind of thing. And I got to get out of here and we're going to go party and play. And I don't, it's just not me. I, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not that guy. Honestly, shows are done. I usually go home. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be able to drive myself. I like to be able to drive home, wake up in my own bed, you know. Now, have you always been like that, or is that just something that's, that's happened as you've gotten older? Uh, once I met once I met my wife, and we had a baby. We've got two babies now. That um, that changed everything for me. That's awesome, man. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing you around Cleveland sometime soon, man. Dude, I'm, I make a promise to you. We are going to get to Cleveland this year. <laughs> we have to get to Cleveland this year. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to it. it. I do. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, Thanks, man. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I got to wrap things up. Cool. All right, man. My pleasure, Brandon. Thank you. All right, Brian. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Mr. Wee Man, I need some relaxation. Mr. Wee Man, don't do me wrong. Like Bob Marley, I'm a smoke until my brain is gone. Mr. Wee Man, don't you roll with raw. Mr. Wee Man, I need that medication. But I don't really know what you got to roll. Hoping that you pull out some fire acid, no. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that you're waiting with a joint after the show. Everybody solo! You got the roll, hoping that you pull out some fire. I said no. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that there are no bubbles breaking our windows, but I don't really know what you got the roll. Hoping that you pull out some fire. I said no. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that you're waiting with a joint after the show.